Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 941. Chapter 144, Sword and Shade. With my purse full to bursting, and Alvaron's letter of credit assuring my tuition, my winter term was carefree as a walk in the garden. It was strange not having to live like a miser. I had clothes that fit me and could afford to have them laundered. I could have coffee or chocolate whenever I wanted. I no longer needed to toil endlessly in the fishery and could spend time tinkering simply to satisfy my curiosity or pursue projects simply for the joy of it. After almost a year away, it took me a while to settle back into the university. It felt odd not wearing a sword after all this time. But such things were frowned on here, and I knew it would cause more trouble than it was worth. At first, I left Caesarea in my rooms, but I knew better than anyone how easy it would be to break in and steal it. The drop bar would only keep away a very genteel thief. A more pragmatic one could simply break my window and be gone in less than a minute. Since the sword was quite literally irreplaceable, and I'd made promises to keep it safe, it wasn't long before I moved it to a hiding place in the underthing. My shade was easier to keep at hand, as I was able to change its shape with a little work. These days, it only rarely billowed on its own. More commonly, it refused to move as much as a gusting wind seemed to demand. You'd think people would notice such things, but they didn't. Even Willem and Simmon, who teased me about my fondness for it, never marked my cloak as anything more than an exceptionally versatile piece of clothing. In fact, Elodin was the only one to notice anything out of the ordinary about it. What's this? he exclaimed when we crossed paths in a small courtyard outside Mainz. How did you come to be in Shaden? I beg your pardon, I asked. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And this page is definitely doing some practical, what's Quoth doing about X and Y? Questions that the readers might be asking, you know, what's he doing with his sword? What's he doing with his shade? The under thing makes sense as a place to hide it. It's also perhaps important to note that it's not close at hand if he's ever like in a brawl without... You know, prep time. He's not like a D&D character who just has it on him all the time. That's right. That said, if he doesn't have the sword on him, like, I feel like he should, like, they have to make, they have to get the sword back to the Adem if it, if if something happens to him. So, like, I feel like maybe he should have told Auri about the sword so that she could get it back. Maybe he did, although I don't really see Auri taking a trip to... No, but she could give it to somebody else to bring it back. Like she could assist. She could give it. And she's a trustworthy person who can keep a secret. So it's true. But also, I feel like Quoth is under the impression that he will never die and has not made those arrangements yet. (laughs) Mm. Ah, to be a teenager. Fact. Mood. (laughs) Meanwhile, us adults all thinking we will die every now and again. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm always dying. I'm always. Hey, man, you could walk out on the street and get hit by a car. It it could happen. Yeah. Also, we're, our bodies are decaying now. 
Ah, uh, so yes. Sort of in a perpetual slow slide to the slow slide to the grave uh, from you know age twenty three on. What a what a a positive thing to think about. I was at a show last night and I had to go home. Like there was like a, a concert and then there's just going to be kind of like a party afterwards. And I had to go home before the party because my back hurt. Ah, <laughs> uh, to and be an I adult. I can't. I can't just stand on this concrete floor uh, for one second longer. I have endured all that I can. Interesting how the shade is sort of like adapted to life or seems to like it's no longer billowing in the breeze, but it's like got the opposite problem now where it doesn't blow as much as it should. That's the kind of thing that makes me wonder if it has a mind of its own and if it's trying to telecloth something by that. I don't think it's trying to telecloth something. I think it's um, the shade is being shady. Like the shade huh. is, has an attitude and he's like, whoa, you don't want me to billow? Fine, then I won't. <laughs> I wonder if it has something to do with the wind. Like it is perhaps entwined with the wind in some capacity. It's like, you know, it blows in the breeze, which is the wind. And, you know, it's always with him in some capacity or something like that. I I think anytime the wind shows up, it's significant. I'm not positing that like the shade is the avatar of the wind or anything like that. But I do think that it is uh, my favorite phrase thematically resonant. I think it might also have some kind of mystical connection to it. I wouldn't be surprised. But it also, like, that is the kind of, like, sort of subtle magical weirdness that I find it realistic to think that people wouldn't notice. You know, like, I don't think that I would notice if someone's clothes weren't moving in the wind, necessarily. I agree. I also love the phrase in Shaden. Mm -hmm. It implies to me that it's not just he has a thing that is called a shade. It is a part of his... It's like a rite of passage. ...person now. Yeah, he's like, he has a buff. He has the buff in Shaden. If it hadn't taken the form of a cloak, we talked about this, it might have taken the form of something else, a hat or a suit of armor or something like that. But it also implies to me that it's not like actually a thing that he can like pack up. It's like a part of him now. He is in Shaden. The only other thing I want to point out on this page is something that's actually more at the top, which is that Quoth starts to comment on how his his lifestyle has changed because he's no longer like broke all the time. He like has a steady source of income of passive income from like, you know, more than one source. And he's like, not as worried about money anymore. So he can like, he can live his life a little bit more, right? He doesn't have to constantly work in the fishery so he can like pursue personal projects. We'll, we'll get into this like later in the chapter, but this sort of comes up again and again that like, his life really does change because his financial circumstances change. And this is maybe the first time since his parents died, if not ever, that he's been not broke. Reasonable. Yes. But uh, I think we mentioned this a little bit, but it bears mentioning again that all of his uh, financial security right now is tied to the university. And if he were to find himself, say, forcibly removed from the university, unable to access not just the tuition scam he's got going, but also the fishery where he collects credit for his uh, his bloodless machine, he will again be locked away from his income. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, he does have a certain amount of income separate, though. How? What? Well, like, think about the, the talents he paid Debbie with. Sure, he saved that money because of his tuition being paid for the mayor, by the mayor, but, like, that money is still technically separate from his university money no that's the that money he paid her out of the purse that he got from collecting his money from the bloodless 
he now has that money. It is now separate from the university. He has extracted that money from the university. It is now his. Yes, but income is not the same as as well. My point is, right? he could save that money. He could, but he's not. Okay, fine. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's like where he's left is now. I have a passive income. I am now financially secure. And what he is not thinking about, and what I think, based on the fact that we know he's going to travel to Yale, and also uh, we haven't got there yet, but it is very much implied that things will get dark at the university in the next book. Uh, I think it's very likely that he will be separated from his source of income. And it's Jeremy's turn to show us the tonsils. I'm glad that uh, we've all had this opportunity. Letter mail time. This is from Carly, a first-time writer. Oh, another who writes, one. writes, well-deserved thanks. Jerdanik, hello. Long-time listener, first-time writer here. A quick aside about how I listen to the pod. I started listening sporadically, tuning into specific pages, parts of the book I love, then began a full listen of Name of the Wind afterward. After diligent binging, I am now at page 65-ish in Wise Man's Fear. Also important to note, I am a female listener, member of Team Dead Sun, and a fellow hater of Mr. Mailbag. As a result of my strange listening, I always felt like I was too behind the live page to write in and therefore didn't, but I feel a strong compulsion to do so today. I want to thank you three for being so committed and giving us all the most insightful, fun, and lighthearted content surrounding our favorite books. Pat's books have been a comfort to me and my mental health throughout the years, and your pod has truly become a strong part of that as well. I feel like I have grown to know you all throughout your Page of the Wind journey and wanted to finally write in and make myself known to you as well. I think it is safe to say that for each listener who frequently writes and tunes into live streams, there are even more of us who love you all quietly in the background, non-creepily, I swear. Thank you so much for all you do. You are truly appreciated. Signed, Carly. Aw, that was really sweet. That's really lovely. I I really appreciate the uh, addition of (laughs) non-creepily. There is something truly weird about like, how because i don't listen to podcasts i feel like i get it less but like when like the people listen and then they're like we feel like we know you because we listen to you and i'm like that makes sense but also who do you who is the person that they know because i feel like i am i'm myself on the podcast but like there's a lot of details about my life i don't want to share with everybody and like who is this person that that they like how is that different from the me me you know the parasociality is hard to navigate for sure I think we've done a pretty good job of it. And I think it speaks to the strength of our relationship and friendship and, and the fact that folks like Carly feel like they can write in and know us a little bit and that we've, you know, enriched their lives, even a small part. And, you know, it's obviously Pat's books that brought us all together, but I don't know. I think I've said this before, but it, I like to think about things in terms of ripples. You, you know, the world is big and scary and, and difficult to navigate um make a make nice a small, ripple yeah you make a small ripple and then your ripple ripples out and then the pe- people touched by your ripple also ripple and, and that's how you make change and so it's a it's a small thing but it makes it all worthwhile to hear that so thank you for writing really really sweet you are a part of our community even if you're not caught up yet uh but you will eventually and uh we're we're very pleased to have you and uh thanks to you and everyone else who listens and does not write in because that's legit as well very reasonable. Also, uh, I appreciate that Carly felt the need to uh, like state their various camps, which is pretty great. <laughs> I mean, sure, I disagree with them being part of Team Dead Sun, but <laughs> I, I do appreciate being informed of their camps. <laughs> you just you can't disagree with someone being part of the winning team, Jordana. And listener, you know what? You can join us on the winning team. 
on tomorrow's page <laughs> of the when, when. when.